We're in our sixth week in this series as we are going through the book of Romans. And uh, we started at the end of Romans to show where we should be at the beginning, kind of like the destination at the end. And one thing that we saw that has been true all the way through Romans is the fact that Romans deals with two big issues that were going on in Roman society, and I dare say in our society today, and that is power and privilege. And we see at the end of Romans how slave and free, how Gentile and Jew, how um, male and female were all at odds with each other, causing divisions within the church, let alone in Roman society. And, but how Paul said the gospel of Jesus Christ mends all those broken relationships and our broken relationship with God and how that makes all the difference. And it's not simply that we are looking <clears throat> at trying to be nice and egalitarian like a lot of people in the world would like us to be and treat everybody the same. It's the tr fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ in reality, the gospel places us all e at equal footing at the foot of the cross and the gospel creates the reality that we are all justified, whether we are religious or irreligious, godly or ungodly, whatever condition, whatever age, whatever place in life, that we are justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And the tangible evidence of the gospel, Paul says, is the way that you and I treat one another and treat people. Are they less than, more than? Are we playing the ladder and status game? Are we playing the division game? that our society plays, or are we sharing the gospel freely and completely as we say it uh, thrive often, you belong. You belong because Jesus Christ brings you in and draws you in and invites you in. So today we're exploring what I would say is, uh, well, what I've studied in uh, this passage uh, and in this book, one of what's called the hinge passages. You know how a door has hinges and everything kind of turns on it? So Romans 5 verse 1 is one of those hinge passages. There's actually four of them in the gospel uh, or in the, the book of Romans and in this gospel. We passed by one of them without me mentioning it, and I apologize for that. It's in Romans 3 verse 20, and it says this, Therefore, since, uh, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. Now, these hinge passages are all there because they all start with the, ver the word therefore. Therefore. You have to ask, why is that therefore there? Right? Why is therefore therefore, you know, in a sense? And so this one is basically a summary saying, you know, whether you're... Um, Gentile or Jew, slave or free, male or female, doesn't matter the age, the place, the location, the time you live in, the culture, no matter what. No one is going to get justified by the works of the law. We're all sealed up. You're going to need justification elsewhere. And that's where our next hinge passage comes, which is Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified, not by works, but by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be exploring that today. 
The third one comes up in Romans 8.1, I think my favorite chapter in the whole book. And I did a series on this a couple of years ago. Um, but it's, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And finally, the last one is from Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So these are the four hinge passages, and they wouldn't be bad for you to kind of look through and kind of, you know, when, we, when, you, when I hope we're going through this whole book in these weeks, it's not just like a little snippet here and a little snippet there, but you get a holistic picture of what's going on, and you can come back into the book of Romans and go like, oh, okay, now I kind of see how it all fits together, okay? So that's hopefully what you're doing. And by the way, you can get all of the notes for this sermon on uh, the U version of the app, if you kind of go under events and you can click on that and get to that, okay? So you can check that out and get all of them under Thrive Community Church and then adding your own notes. It'll help you remember even more. What an idea, huh? Um, okay, so now we're going to develop this second hinge passage today. It's from Romans chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to read 11 verses. And by the way, as I was studying this, the commentary I'm using. Um, from um, Douglas Moo, M-O-O. It's a book about this yay thick. So it's like, how in the world? Yeah, that's just one commentary in the book of Romans. He says um, that this passage, Romans 5, is similar to Romans 8. It has some of the same themes. Uh, it's more condensed. It's not as well developed or fully developed out. But we're going to see some of the same things when we get back uh, in a couple of weeks to Romans 8. But now let's read Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that. But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have been now justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is a very complex passage, and it would be worth kind of meditating on and reading over the week. In fact, one of our members, Mark, uh, said this is one of his favorite passages, right? In our huddle this week, he said this is one that got him through many tough times in his life. There are so many things that are going on in it. It's very much like I said, Romans 8. Romans 8 is one of my passages I turn to again and again and just read because it's filled with the promises of God just like this. These are both great passages to turn to whenever you're going through a tough time to get kind of a reality check for what God has already done. And so Paul weaves a lot of things in here. We're not going to cover them all. Aren't you happy? 
I think you are. You know how long I preach already. But we're going to take out three strands that are woven together here of the whole fabric of Romans 5 and realize there are many more strands, but these three main strands, and we're going to pull them out just for a moment to look at them independently, but realize they all fit together. And what's fascinating is one is in past tense, one is in the present, and one is in the future. All three of them are tied together in this passage. Paul is basically saying, you've got a past, you've got a present, you've got a future reality in Jesus Christ, and it's glorious and wonderful and amazing. And so we're going to look at each one of them. And the first comes up in that first passage, Romans 5, verse 1, and this is the strand we are looking at, that you have been justified, resulting in peace. Okay? You have been justified, resulting in peace. So what is the peace of God? Okay? What kind of peace is Paul referring to here that has resulted from you being justified, declared righteous? And the simple answer is, it's the new reality. You have a different relationship with God. God has given you this new reality. You have a new status. You are no longer guilty. You are righteous. You are no longer um, alienated. You are no longer condemned. You are no longer under um, scrutiny, but now you are gained, you have gained approval. You are justified. You have the status of Jesus Christ. And so that means Paul is not referring here to some subjective feeling of peace in our life, but to the re objective reality of the peace we now have in our relationship with God. You know, I think that is the most amazing good thing. Because I'll tell you, my feelings come and go. You know, within 20 minutes, I can feel totally differently about something. And there are times where I have felt close to God. There are a lot of times I do not feel close to God, and I hope that's not a shock to you. Does not mean that I'm not close to God or God is not close to me. It's just I don't feel it. You understand? You know, a lot of people think church... Christianity is just one way of many. Religion is to give you a feeling of tranquility, less stress, kind of therapeutic serenity. That's the real purpose. And so they might turn to you as a Christian and say, well, I'm glad church works for you that way. I get it from taking long walks on the beach, from going to yoga class. You know, I get it from uh, doing a deep food, you know, deep cleanse of food. I get it from rubbing essential oils. Whatever the latest trend is, okay, uh, bourbon, cigars. I get it from, you know, whatever. That's where I get it. But they're misunderstanding what this piece is about. It's not a feeling. It is a fact that God has granted us an end to the war of hostility between our God and us that was based on our rebellion against him. God has ended that war. He is the one who surrendered his son on the cross to bring about the end to that hostility, to justify us, to put us in a whole new light, in a whole new category, so that we could have a direct relationship once again with him. Think about it this way, which is better? You going to the doctor 
and you've got some aches and pains and you're really kind of concerned and worrying and not feeling good about your health, the doctor takes you through a number of tests and she turns to you and says, you know what? There's nothing to worry about. It's all clear. You're in good shape. Or you going to the doctor feeling great about your health, you think you're doing well, and after a few tests, the doctor looks at you and she says, um, you're diabetic now and coronary heart disease has begun. Which one do you want? Feeling good and finding out the reality isn't? Or not feeling so great, but finding out the reality is fine. I will take the good bill of health, the declaration of everything's good, whether I feel it or not any day. How about you? That's what we're talking about with the peace with God. Now, not, not to say that Christianity doesn't give you that inner peace in your life. It's just that doesn't come first. Okay? Your good vibes that you might have come about as an actual reality of what God has done in Jesus Christ, your status before God. And Paul says it is so real, he puts it in the past tense. It's history. It happened. It was accomplished. In the Greek, it's the aorist tense, which means it's a past historical event that has implications for every day the rest of your life. It's like when I got married 20-some years ago to my wife, that has had an implication every day of my life after that event. I don't have to get married again. I am married. That one time has affected the rest of my life since then. That is what has happened in Jesus Christ. The new status is so real, it's in the past tense. You have been justified. You have been acquitted. You have been declared not guilty. There is no double jeopardy with God. None. It's done. It's finished. It's completed. Justification. That word justified is a legal term meaning declared righteous in the court of law and once it's been accomplished through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it cannot be reversed. It will not be reversed. God will not declare it any other way. It is the new reality. It's not something that is um, partial and slowly grown into. It is complete, and you slowly realize the full implication of it over your life. So your justification can become more and more meaningful to you but it doesn't mean it's more real than it was the day you first believed and the day that Jesus died. That's where you have been justified. So don't base your beliefs on your feelings. Base your feelings on your beliefs. I know it's easy to let your feelings determine how you think about your status before God, you might say, you know, God, I just don't know. You know, you're not feeling close to him and all that stuff. And that's why I say this is one of those passages like Mark has found it in his life to be important. Uh, where you take God's promises out at the times you're not feeling so great. Or like I with Romans 8. And you just go through the promises of God and read them to yourself and preach it, man. Preach it to yourself. This is the new reality. God has so loved the world that... He not only loved the world, he loved me, that whoever believes in Jesus Christ, he gave Jesus Christ for me, that whoever believes in him, even me, will not die but have eternal life. So you take God's promises and you apply it, the reality of it, to you. Your status with God does not change. 
It's been accomplished. You have the full stature and honor of Jesus Christ himself before the Father, 24-7, 365. Regardless of corona or high water, it doesn't matter. That's the gospel promise. Now, each of these three threads, I think, also have corollaries to them. That is, applications that I'm going to make for us today. And the first corollary to the fact that you have been justified, have been, past tense, justified, so that you have peace with God is this. Don't play the status games the world's playing right now. You don't need to do it. You know, there are a lot of Christians even who say, yes, I believe in the gospel, I know I am saved, yada, yada. But they're still pursuing the status of the world. They're still so concerned about what other people think of them, how many likes they are getting on Facebook, how many people are talking about them and what they are saying about them. People also are so scared right now of losing what they have, whatever that is, or not having the status or the privilege or the power other people have, whatever that happens to be. We have right now a low-grade war between classes and races and identities going on in the United States. And the corollary says, don't participate in that. You have no reason to. It's futile. Nobody's actually gaining any status that really matters and can last through all those games. And you don't need to. You cannot add to what God has already given you in Jesus Christ by participating in, do they like me? Do I have this? Am I part? No, none of that. You have the full approval, the full status of Jesus Christ, all the medals of honor he has won through his perfect life, his amazing sacrificial death, and his glorious resurrections are freely given to you, period. We don't play the game. We have peace with God. We are justified already. It's history. It's certain. That's our first point. Past tense, you have been justified, and you have peace with God. Our second point is present tense. You are reconciled to experience God's love. This comes up in Romans 5, verse 10. For while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. It's such a beautiful passage. You are reconciled. God moved in, loved you so much when you actually hated him, when you were his enemies. He loved his enemies, and it cost him dearly. It lost his own life. Jesus Christ lost it all, didn't hold anything back to forgive you, love you, and be yours, to reconcile you to him so that when you approach God now, you are in a reconciled relationship with him. Do you know how it is when you think you're going to come to somebody and you're not quite sure how they feel about you? Whether it's your boss, maybe even someone in your family, you go like, you know what? I think this is going to set them off if I bring this issue up. Have you ever felt that? Maybe I'll just avoid that conversation for a while. I don't want to deal with that. Or you might feel like, oh my goodness, if I talk to my boss about this, he, think, he thinks I'm taking it, she thinks I'm going to, you know, want whatever. With God, your father, you are reconciled. 
There is no hostility. There's no alienation. There is no feelings of enmity that he has. He's not holding back. So the question is, when you do approach God, do you think you have to get his attention? Or he already has been attentive to you and he's just waiting for you? Do you feel generally that he kind of disapproves of some of the stuff that you've done and he only under obligation is going to listen? Is that kind of how you see your father? Do you find him, uh, find yourself coming trying to negotiate with him, thinking that you've got to kind of make a deal with your God? Do you think he's kind of disinterested? He's just kind of a bystander. He's got much better things to do. Or do you come with him in the awareness that you have a heavenly father who has such a tender heart for you? He cannot but wait. In fact, he's already anticipating. He knows He knows every hair on your head. He knows everything going on. He knows you better than you know yourself, and he can't wait to hear you come to him, want you to be with him. Even if you're upset or ticked off or angry or whatever way, he loves you so much as his child, it doesn't matter. You can be totally like ornery and difficult. It doesn't really matter. You know, today we've got... um, uh, Johnny here, he's seven months, eight months now? 11. Almost 11 months. It's been a while, I know. We've had this COVID thing going on. I can't even remember. So he's nearly walking, almost, right? But I bet you've had a few times where he's been a little um, cantankerous, upset, upset stomach, right? Just a little once in a while. Doesn't make you love him less, does it? You don't care. You just lo- it's just like what a gift he is. You know, you're going to love him anyways, and you want him to grow up in that unconditional love. And if we as imperfect parents can do that for our children, how much more our Heavenly Father? Do you get it? That's our present reality, no matter what. You are reconciled to God. So I don't care what mood you're in. I don't care what you do, how you think, how ornery you can be like a little child, how childish you are, what temper tantrum you might be having. You are reconciled to God. Now, this is what's amazing is 500 years ago in the Protestant Reformation, the reformers understood the beauty and the reality of this with a Latin phrase. It's simul justus et peccator. Now, they didn't write this because, oh, yeah, you know, I keep sinning no matter what I do. Every day I sin. That's true. That's a reality. They wrote it because of the um, amazing reconciliation of God that even when I am a sinner every day, God is still seeing me as his child. That's the amazing reality. Your sins don't get in the way of his attitude toward you, his disposition toward you. So that phrase means simultaneously, I am a sinner and justified. I am at peace with God. I have the love of God poured into my heart like a child. No matter the attitude or day, I'm always in the house. I'm always in my father's heart. Gerhard Ferdi, um, he's a theologian who's died a few years ago, and he said the only thing that's going to work in our lives really is primary discourse, especially in our relationships. 
Now, what does he mean by primary discourse? It's when I don't talk about love and say, you know, in the abstract, and I don't make it kind of passive like whatever. It's when I say, I love you. That's what my wife needs to hear. That's what my children need to hear. Not, you know, you are loved. That's kind of passive, by the way, right? Or, you know, um, uh, let's, isn't love a wonderful thing? That doesn't really work. If that's all you say to your spouse, isn't love a wonderful thing? Well, yeah, but do you love me? Do you understand what I mean? Do you, do you love me? Do you forgive me? Are we reconciled? Or do I have to worry about anything? You need primary discourse. That's the good news of the gospel. It is primary discourse. Where God says to you today, I have reconciled myself to you. I have changed my disposition to you through giving my son Jesus Christ so that your heart might warm up to me. You are forgiven. You, not somebody else, not just generically, I'm about forgiveness. You know, other world religions, there's a lot of generic terms about God, how wonderfully abstractly he's compassionate or loving. In the Christian gospel, it is a direct promise, God forgives you, God loves you, God has reconciled you. That's the difference. And that's the direct discourse we have in this text. Now, here's the corollary. If God has reconciled me when I was ungodly, as this text says, when I was a sinner, when I was in a weak position and couldn't do anything about it, that's what this text says, then I have to start looking at other people in this world not as the enemy, but as someone God can be totally reconciled to as well. In other words, don't play the us, them, we, they, I'm good, you're evil game the world's playing right now. Because I'm no better than anybody else. I was ungodly, they might be ungodly. Okay, so what? You know, Start looking at them as people whom God has so loved that he gave up his only son for them, loves them as much as you, wants them as much as you, and who's just waiting to be reconciled to them. That's all. I don't have the moral high ground as a Christian. I do not have the corner on morality or truth. What I have is just the gospel that said I was a sinner too. I was as bad as anyone else, no better. Or as even Paul himself says, Chief of sinners, though I be. You know, Jesus' blood was shed for me. So Jesus calls us, then, to share that kind of love with others as he has shared with us. You're reconciled, and you experience God's love right now in the present to share God's love with others, even when they're not so lovely, in the present. And finally, we will be glorified, giving us hope. That's the future. Paul says this in Romans 5, 2. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's looking forward. So we have been justified, past tense. 
we are reconciled present tense and we will be glorified future. It's a future certain reality. Now, a lot of people are in envisioning a future and they have a lot of wishes and hopes and dreams for a future. But the Christian gospel is different as it's saying that the future is in Jesus Christ. It's already begun and this is where it's going. And it's so certain because you've already received the down payment. As this text says, the Holy Spirit has poured out God's love into your hearts. So you already have the down payment of the future that you will have. As um, Bob Diefenbaugh says, there is a vast difference between the hype of our world and the hope of the gospel. I love that phrase because the world will hype about how wonderful the future is going to be. Technology is going to do this. You know, if you vote for me, this is what I'll enact and how wonderful it'll be and everything will be solved. And every time I want to buy into technology or politics or, you know, anything, I'm going to get disappointed. But it says about the hope of the gospel that it will never shame us or disappoint us because the love of the Holy Spirit has been poured out into our hearts. Your future is not simply in words or wish dreams. Your future has been set in stone through the grave of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb. So here's the wonderful thing about my future and your future. It's not a concept. It is a person that our lives have been tied to, Jesus Christ himself. So God has basically said, because through Jesus, that he will not, he refuses to have a future without you. He has tied his future to yours. He says, I am not going to have a future without you in it. Do you understand that? That's what the gospel is. God has placed Jesus Christ as your future. He's not going to have a future separate from you. He has chosen to weave his whole future. The future of God himself is tied to your future. He will make sure that you're a part of it and he is a part. That gives me hope. So my future is not determined by the stock market or the pandemic or the inflation or altered by any national dictate or lessened by any catastrophic event. God's love has been poured out into my heart through the Holy Spirit as a down payment of it. Climate change, nuclear war, ravaging pandemics, national, international turmoil will not change it or thwart it or get in the way of it. Nothing can stop it because the future is Jesus Christ. And he has tied his future to mine and my future to him. But you might say... Um, John, then why is the world still such a messy place if that future has already begun? And this is what Romans and the whole New Testament talks about. We are in the overlap of the ages. That is, the new age has begun. The new kingdom of God has started and inaugurated by Jesus Christ. And yet at the same time, we're stuck in this old kingdom, the old kingdoms and the ways of the world that is gasping for its last breath and trying to do its best to still assert its will over God's kingdom. And so we're stuck in the in-between. And God has placed all of this old creation that we are in the midst of into a position, as Romans 8 will say, of futility. That is, it ain't going to get to have its will done ultimately. It's going to all fall apart. 
We see that time and again as nations rise and fall and as corporations and as people's ideas and time uh, just ravages everything and it doesn't work and we can assert our will all we want and it falls. You know, I think it's uh, human beings plan and God laughs, you know, kind of at our plans and how easily they fall apart. So in the interlapping of the ages, Paul talks about in this passage, we have hope and we can even see that our sufferings are just part of that overlap of the ages. That suffering that's going on in your life and mine, the things that don't work, the difficulties that we're facing, the struggles, the trials, the temptations are because we're in between. We're not quite yet in the fullness of the kingdom of God, but we're not just stuck in this world any longer. And all of that, all the sufferings of Jesus Christ, because of the gospel, because of our justification, because of our reconciliation, have been placed within the wounds of the sufferings of Jesus Christ himself. I love what Martin Laird wrote. He says, God in Christ has taken into himself the brokenness of the human condition. Hence, human woundedness, brokenness, death itself are transformed from dead ends to doorways into life. And the divinizing humanity of Christ's bruises become balm. So this is what Jesus did. And this is why we have a hope and a future. And our hope and our future are Jesus himself. Or as um, Irenaeus, an early church father, just the next generation after the apostles said, Our Lord Jesus Christ, the word of God, of his boundless love became what we are that he might make us what he himself is. So the corollary is, don't get caught up into the plans of this world and all the promise, the false promises and the futile promises this world is making. The corollary is, don't get so uh, entrapped by despair that the world is facing because every time somebody promises something, they can't really deliver. Realize the one who has delivered it all, and your future is secure no matter what happens in this world. That's why Paul writes in Romans 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So God is creating through your sufferings, through the difficulties, through this overlap of the ages. He is still getting his work done in your life. He's creating the character and the image of Jesus Christ. He's accomplishing what he wants through all of those things. As tough as it seems. I love what D.A. Carson, a Christian theologian, also says. He kind of says it tongue-in-cheek, but he, he really means it. He says, I'm not suffering from anything that a good resurrection can't fix. You know? All my physical ailments, all my moral failings, all my struggles, all my doubts, all of that is going to be fixed by the resurrection, and that's the hope that we have. So, we have a hope that cannot disappoint. So, past history, you have been justified, giving you peace with God. Present reality, you are reconciled, granting you to live in God's love. Future promise, you will be glorified, giving you hope through the struggles of this world. Okay? Let's pray. Lord God, this day is yours. We thank you, Lord, for this beautiful passage. There's so much in it. 
You have woven this all together that we are now tied to you in, through your son, Jesus Christ, that he became human, that he became one of us so that we could become what he has, that we can gain everything that he has done for us so that we have been justified, we are reconciled, and we will be glorified. And we are amazed, Lord, at that. We lift up to you this world that is just, you know, gasping, (laughs) struggling um, in hostility still towards you. Make us those who can show your peace, that can display your love, that can view others through your hope. Help us to share the gospel, Lord, not only in how we think, but in how we treat one another so that the world sees in tangible ways what justification, this central teaching, justified by grace through faith, is all about, Lord God. We do lift up once again, Lord, our leadership within this nation at this time in politics, specifically our president and others, that you place your healing hand upon them and give them both your wisdom and grant, Lord, grow them into the character of Jesus Christ, of compassion and humility and, and just um, true truth uh, and, and love, Lord God, that they lead justly and act rightly, Lord. We pray, Lord God, that you'd be with many members in our church that are struggling in this in-between time between the ages. And so we lift to you, Lloyd, uh, this morning, who has been having heart, uh, heart pains overnight, and pray that you bring your healing to him and be with Helen, his, his wife, as well. We lift up to you, um, Chris, who is, has uh, been facing, Lord, this tumor, and we want you to bring your healing to him the, grand, uh, the grandson of the Griskies. We pray, Lord, that you'd be with Andrea Blankenship as she has now entered this clinical trial. We thank you for it, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would take away any of the side effects and effectively use it to bring your healing to her cancer, that she may glorify you and serve you uh, and, and, and display to this world your goodness and grace. We lift up to you, um, and Vern Westfall, we pray, Lord, that you continue to strengthen uh, uh, Vern through his recovery. We lift up to you little Kai at age eight, who is facing chemotherapy for about a year uh, because of a brain tumor. And we pray, Lord, that you'd be with Rebecca the Llewellyns as they um, see this grandson of theirs going through this, Lord, that they can show... uh, trust you through it all, Lord, and know that you are really leading and guiding them. Lord, um, there are many other needs. Um, You know of them. You know how, though we are reconciled in our relationship to you, some of us are still struggling with uh, having reconciled relationships with friends, neighbors, relatives. We pray that you would make us peacemakers in this world in that way, and that you teach us how to bring about the reconciliation um, because of how you have done it for us. We uh, ask, O Lord, that you remind us again and again of our status before you so that we don't play the status games of this world. We don't get caught up in all the competition and all the ugly uh, fights that are going on right now. But we display your love and your joy 
in the midst even of our sufferings. And we pray, Lord, that you would instill in us your hope so that we can display it to this world that seems not, is searching for it in all different directions, but not finding it, Lord, so that they find it in you. We thank you for the ministry you've given us here at Thrive, Lord God. Uh, for our campus ministry at FGCU, we pray that it uh, flourish and grow. For our ministry in this community and all the partners that we work with, Lord, that your kingdom would grow here as well. We lift up to you, Lord God, that, um, that you would use us for the sake of what you want to see accomplished in this world right now. All this we lift up to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.